Many things impact a compliance program, how it runs, and how well it works. But nothing has the same impact as the constantly changing and evolving technology landscape. In ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of technology and compliance, co-hosts Tom Fox and Valerie Charles will help you understand what changes in technology mean for your compliance program. Here's your hosts, Tom and Valerie. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode of ComTech, together with my co-host, Valerie Charles. We are thrilled today to have with us Jenna Waters. Jenna is a cybersecurity consultant. She is a veteran. She has an interesting, one of the most interesting backgrounds I've come across, and she's taken that interesting background from her military service and put it into the private sector. So, Jenna, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So, Jenna, I've had a chance to visit with you before, so I know your first job out of high school, but that dovetails nicely into your professional background. So could you tell us, she enlisted in the Navy, and could you tell us the skills you learned in the Navy and how that professional background led you to your current position? Yeah, I absolutely can. So probably the strangest and most random skill I learned in the military was foreign language, which actually ended up applying itself really well because once you, you know, you get the idea of how to learn syntax and learn, you know, grammar in terms of a foreign language, it's actually really easily crosses over to learning different code languages and being able to apply it. So that was actually one of the weirdest dovetails in terms of skills that I learned. Other ones would include, you know, I operated on a lot of computer information systems in conjunction with other sophisticated technologies for a variety of missions and military operations, all of which are classified (laughs) to one degree or another. But all of it lent me with a relatively good understanding, not only of the technologies that are used, but how they are used to combat, you know, global threats that are faced in terms of national security. Jenna, the last time we had the chance to visit, we were focused uh, some of our discussion around solar winds. That Mm -hmm. seems to me to be almost eons ago. And now we talk about cyber attacks literally on a weekly basis. Obviously, Colonial Pipeline, we had McDonald's hacked. We've had some major cryptocurrency payments. Because of these cyber attacks, we've had the president issue an order around cybersecurity and supply chain. So we've had a lot going on. But I was wondering, where are we now? And is the message that you are trying to get out around cybersecurity resonating with corporate America? I think businesses, particularly those that work in industries, regarded as critical infrastructure, obviously because of the Colonial Pipeline hack, but we're also looking at things like the Fastly hack that went down. Well, it wasn't a hack, but it was an infrastructure issue. So they went down, which caused payment capabilities for multiple companies to go out, and then the JBS hack that we saw you know, I think a lot of them know now that they're kind of on notice. An attack like what we saw with Colonial Pipeline isn't necessarily new by any means to security researchers. Just go back to Ukraine in 2015. We've we've seen this coming for six years now. But I think the difference with this attack and the, you know, just this epic rise of ransomware is that it didn't just affect, you know, one or two businesses or an industry or maybe a government agency internally. 
it actually ended up affecting the lives of everyday Americans directly in mass, kind of similar to Experian. And those effects that we're seeing are far more tangible because of what we saw with like the gasoline panic buying and those increase in gas prices, which only added to inflation, which people really feel like your average everyday American feels that pain. And add on top of it, that flare of social and economic anxiety, I mean, particularly as we slowly near the end of the pandemic is just unbelievable. So I really do see a lot of our business partners, a lot of our clients really taking a more keen interest in, you know, perhaps more so than they were before, which I think is good. One of the good resultants from the colonial pipeline hack and I try to look on the bright side, <laughs> um, but is, you know, the Department of Homeland Security is mandated that all pipelines, so gas, uh, both I think gasoline and natural gas have to report cyber breaches within 12 hours, which is wholly new to that industry. And I think it's probably, you know, kind of time that we, we had that happen. So I think we're starting to see a shift in not just the business and the way what their perspective is, but the shift of the public and what they're looking at and what they're seeing and experiencing. And I think that that's going to be a big driving force into what's coming down in the future. Jenna, in, a, in another part of my life, I do contract work for small companies on the Texas Gulf Coast, largely around the petrochemical industry. And I have a sort of a $100 million client that I do a contract with time to time. And the CEO called me a couple of weeks ago and she said, our customers, the pipeline companies, are de now demanding to see our information security program. And so you mentioned critical infrastructure, but the thing that interested me about the phone call is we now see businesses demanding that. And so I wanted to use that as perhaps an introduction into the area of information security program development, compliance or risk assessments, threat intelligence. How do you help a, a client or a potential client think through some of those issues if they come to you and, and they've not done that before? So if they've not done it before, we typically would start with something along the lines of a risk or a gap assessment, usually a gap assessment. So what do you have and what do you need? And then moving into a risk assessment, which what we follow is the NIST cybersecurity framework to help develop and assess their program to kind of see based on the five NIST categories, you know, what their maturity is, where they, whether you're currently sitting, because if you don't know where you currently are, you can't move forward. And then from there, what we do is we take into account things like their HIPAA, if they need to be HIPAA compliant, if they need to be PCI compliant, if they have PII data, personally identified information. And then we, in the risk assessment, will identify based on their industry, you know, the security controls they have in place, and then their current processes and policies and procedures and, you know, all of that, we'll look through and go, okay, these are your key vulnerabilities that we think you should fix. These are your key threats that we see right now in the environment, and here's your overall risks. And then we help them prioritize that risk. And by prioritizing your risk, that's how you can develop a more tailored cybersecurity program. Because you know, by identifying these risks, these processes and operations that you have as an organization, what we can do is take your current level of maturity and say, okay, here's how we can go step by step to the next level of maturity. 
And we can really tailor an organization's cybersecurity program to its needs and its operations rather than an off-the-shelf kind of, you know, well, we know that CyberArk works, so we'll buy them. We know Microsoft works, so we'll buy them. Instead, we really help them kind of tailor and customize their program to meet the size of the organization, to meet its cost benefit, you know, um, needs, as well as maybe it's, you know, it's risk tolerance. Some organizations are more risk accepting, whereas others are very risk adverse, like the financial sector in terms of cybersecurity, not money. <laughs> so what we really do is we really try and help each client on an individual basis, but following maybe key, a key, the key framework. If usually we go to NIST cybersecurity because it's just, it's an open source framework. It can encompass multiple businesses, you know, regardless of industry or size. But if an organization wants to follow another one, we can also do it according to that. So like ISO or something. I've heard you use the phrase, in security breaches, is that still realistic? So in security breaches is, I would say it's more visionary than realistic. So it is pretty bold and an ambitious statement, but I do believe it's possible if we define security breaches appropriately. So um, one way is, you know, especially when we're seeing the rise and high profile attacks that seem to garner a lot of media attention. You know, that's why I think it's really important to take that kind of bold stance on it. For me, ending security breaches is a vision of the future in which a security breach can be detected, identified, and contained effectively. And it's not allowing a security, you know, incident to go to the point of a security breach where something is stolen or encrypted or operations are taken down. So no system is adversely affected. Data isn't stolen or encrypted for ransom, you know, and it doesn't affect or impact the organization or public in any significant way other than maybe the time it takes to contain it. When you're trying to combat this kind of breach and these kinds of intrusions, like how do you use data? Is there a way to sort of track data in a way that you recognize patterns or like, can you sort of describe, I guess, the technical way that if you have a, a client who wants to use data to prevent this kind of thing, how, how does that work? So cybersecurity is actually one of the best areas in technology where it can be very data driven. And we're applying things like people call it artificial intelligence. I call it augmented intelligence because it's not quite intelligent yet. But where, you know, machine learning can be applied and big data can be analyzed to make more informed decisions, cybersecurity is really well positioned to do that for a couple of reasons. It per what that data can do, particularly within a specific organization, within an organization, what it can do is it can help you come up with an action plan in the face of specific types of security events that are within your threat profile. It can also help you build your threat profile. So what threats based on your industry, based on the you know attacks we've seen over the last five years, I would go to maybe even three years because our environment changes so fast, you know, but what are you likely to see? And then based on that, what indicators are going to show up in terms of an attack that you would see? So you can really formulate an action plan based on that data to safeguard your information and your applications. When data lies at the core of that strategy of your strategy, 
in terms of how you approach cybersecurity as in just not only as incident response, but also as monitoring and detecting potential threats within your network can be used in one of two ways. So the first way is the analysis of recent and past data about, you know, your current environment so that we are better able to determine what your operational baseline is. So within your organization, within your network, and that's your baseline activity, what your users do, what apps you have, what data you have. What this does is this enables security teams to effectively recognize deviations and abnormalities in standard ops and decrease the likelihood that we will either falsely identify regular behavior by like a user as malicious or misindications of malicious or insidious activities. And it can also help organizations identify, you know, vulnerabilities and gaps that are occurring in their organization as well. The second way is a more global perspective. And this is where we kind of get into threat intelligence a bit. So it's the gathering and collection of data regarding threat actors or groups, their attacks, tactics, say that four times fast, (laughs) strategies and targets that can be gathered, analyzed, and shared throughout the security community as well as your organization. And this helps us essentially build out profiles of threat groups and their capabilities, the industries are likely to target, their motivations for targeting it, and enables security teams to really recognize patterns that are used by these hackers before they gain access to the network or a critical system. I think sometimes the danger, however, is becoming so focused on data driving a security program that, you know, oftentimes it's really easy to forget that behind these hacking groups and threat actors are human beings, even if they're controlling like an entire zombie horde, which is just a fun phrase for a bunch of bots controlled by a command and control center. But Ultimately, they're still going to be subservient to human behavior and motivations. So if you can take that data-driven strategy as well as understanding sort of the motivations and psychology behind a specific threat hack, like a specific threat group like DarkSide, then you're more able to tune your environment in terms of recognizing potential indicators as well as training your security personnel to respond appropriately. Fascinating. I mean, I work a lot, not not in cyber, but in, in general corporate compliance, and we do a risk assessment. And I am seeing clients now that maybe five years ago would not have considered a cyber risk assessment be interested in cyber risk assessment. So I, I'd be curious about, are there particular verticals and, and folks that maybe should be in light of what's been happening and the trends that you're seeing considering cyber risk assessment? And in general, how often should a cyber risk assessment be performed? So. Every big organization, big, I say, you know, medium-sized, even small business, so 50 people. So even if you're a mom and pop shop, honestly, like I think everybody could benefit from a risk assessment in terms of cybersecurity. I think the issue with getting everyone, every organization, no matter how big or small to do it, is just kind of that lack of knowledge that the tools are out there to do it. Obviously, the bigger you are, the more I'm likely to say, no, you need to have a third party come in and help you or you need to have an internal audit do it just because they can be hairy, hairy assessments and they take a lot of time and a lot of hours. But if you're a mom and pop shop and you know, oh, I can go to this free government site and pull down 
the NIST cybersecurity framework and take what applies to my organization, what doesn't apply. And okay, where am I? And you just assign like a score, like a one through five. This doesn't have to be really hard. So I think everybody could benefit in terms of something like Colonial Pipeline. I think we should really be seeing people in critical infrastructure, any industry that is a backbone of our economy or society should 100% be doing a risk assessment. As for how often, that depends. So thankfully, it's also a wonderfully simple answer. I would recommend performing a risk assessment annually, at least, definitely upon any significant change. So that's going to be like implementing moving to cloud from an on-prem environment is going to be a significant change. You know, changing an entire server environment from Windows to Linux, that's a significant change to IT or security systems, as well as before and potentially after any significant change in the direction of the organization. So this is going to be a merger, a divestation, or a complete change in your competitive advantage or your production. So if you're moving from you know, I, I think IBM used to do like software and now they do, you know, software as a service. I would definitely be looking at doing a risk assessment if I was going from, you know, off the shelf licensed software to software as a service as my primary product, something like that. Do you feel like the corporate America has woken up, you know, with Colonial Pipeline, with McDonald's and these kind of big reputational risk news stories? Are you seeing kind of a pickup there? Yes and no. So I am definitely seeing more interest, but we have been seeing an increased interest, which is good. And I'm really happy about it because I'm of the opinion that leadership buy-in for an organization is paramount to the success of a cybersecurity team. If your leadership is willing to invest in cybersecurity, that will make or break your organization in terms of, you know, your program. So what I am seeing is that there seems to be a much more serious stance by organizations taken towards risk ransomware, as well as just any big attack that seems to hit the public, like SolarWinds hack with patching, you know. And I believe what what's probably definitely changing the atmosphere is that we're also seeing the public sector take a large, big interest in what's happening over the last few weeks. And we're also starting to see the rise of consequences for the perpetrators of ransomware, which is a good thing, I think, because it's really the first time we've really been able to see that in such a tangible way. Unfortunately, what we're not seeing is we're not seeing everyone get kind of equal assistance for the for cyber attacks. So if you're a small business and you're hit with ransomware or your system is brought down by a vulnerability that causes your system to be compromised, you're a lot less likely to recover than a bigger organization. Not every organization like Colonial Pipelines can have federal assistance, which is why I think it's so important to see public sector start to really kind of step in and say, okay, we need to have at least as an economy, kind of a baseline of security. I think that's the biggest change I'm seeing so far. And I think it's going to definitely, you know, lead to improvements overall in the cybersecurity industry and technology and hope, hopefully make everyone more secure in the long run. Do you have sort of urgent or immediate thoughts on uh, President Biden's 
executive order on cybersecurity? Did it go far enough? Sort of what's your gut reaction to that? So I'm of two minds with Biden's executive order. One half of me is incredibly excited and very on board and very, as cybersecurity professionals, and like we tend to get really take advantage of every emergency. (laughs) And so I'm glad to see that it's being taken this seriously at the highest level of government. And not only President Biden, we're also seeing things like privacy legislation being taken seriously in Congress with the Consent Act and being, you know, introduced as well, Social Media and Consumer Privacy Act being introduced, reintroduced into Congress. So we're really seeing an interest and I think that's great. But for Biden, on the other half of me is concerned because it is an executive order. An executive order is limited in the fact that it carries the weight of law by statute, but it is right. has a weakness in terms of longevity. Is it going to last past Biden's, Biden's term in office? And it only extends to federal agencies that fall under the executive branch. So I think it's a good step. I think it's definitely maybe even heavier handed than I would have expected of Biden, you know, regarding this, which is fine with me because it requires the IT service and software providers for those federal agencies to take very specific actions. And I think he's gone kind of as far as he can go with it in terms, you know, without like any overreach backlash. And I think it can prove to be effective at driving change within the tech industry toward, you know, because the U.S. government is a top consumer of IT services and tech. You know, organizations already have to compete and bid for these contracts. So it kind of requires these organizations and these service providers to to up their game a bit in security and prove that they can meet the criteria that NIST will set forth in its recommendations, which are coming soon, I assume. And it's essentially using the broad powers of government through federal agencies to affect an economic marketplace that will drive service providers to improve security capabilities and tools. My one concern about that, though, is we could also see something else happen in service providers, particularly things like cloud providers. It's actually something we've already seen in organizations like Amazon or Microsoft. This is to provide a specific set of services that meet requirements and standards for the federal government and its contracts. And then another set of services and servers and everything else that the rest of us get to pick from. But you could pay extra and get what the federal government gets. So I think we're likely to see maybe that split. So I, like I said, I think it has some real positive aspects. I think there's some things we should be concerned about, like longevity. I personally would really love to actually see legislation passed so that that's not an issue. But I am happy to see that it's being taken as seriously as it is. Fascinating. It's, it's so interesting. Jenna, I, this area is moving quickly. It, it does. <laughs> Jenna, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I do have one special question for you. You are identified as a dog mom of two. What are the dogs you have? <laughs> I am a dog mom of two. So I have 
my first dog, and I call him my first dog because he was my, he's the first dog I've ever gotten on my own. His name is Atticus. He is a Border Collie mix. He's 11 years old this year. We adopted him. Uh, he's really wonderful. The next dog I have is a Pembroke Welsh Corgi. <laughs> and she is three years old and a hyper little ball of energy that drives Atticus insane. <laughs> I bet she does. I will just pass along one piece of advice. Do not get a third dog because if you do, all I can tell you is your life will change forever. <laughs> With that bit of dog parent wisdom, we are at the end of our episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information on you or any of the topics you've talked about, where can they go? Absolutely. So if you want to reach out to me specifically or learn more about me, I'm on LinkedIn at Jenna with two N's Waters. If you want to see more about the organization I work for, which is True Digital Security, you can go to www.truedigitalsecurity.com. Well, Jenna, as this area continues to evolve, perhaps we can uh, call upon you again and uh, visit uh, on the next series of information on this topic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, so much, Jenna. Thank you Valerie. I appreciate it.